Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Eyes. Where am I? Tower. Am I a princess? No, no. Not pretty enough. Another lifetime, perhaps. Nose. What say you? Musty. Shaving cream? Stone. And now we know where we are. Lights, camera, endless confusion. Andragoni, on the origin of man. See, Stephen. Hesiod would be proud. <sighs> Too early for such nonsense, but no do-over, only a mulligan. Watch him shave. There with the lather, the clown dons his makeup. Poor Pagliacci. I trade Buck for that dejected dunce in a minute. At least he knows his place in this circus, poor as he is. Buck the bungler, greatest geisha in all the green lands of Ire. Look at that fool take flight. <laughs> Would that his wings should melt, but I fear the hot air in between his ears shall keep him from falling all the same. And he calls me a mummer. The nerve of the kettle to the pot. Black. My morning clothes. He clamors on about his mother, the sea. But where's mine? I know where. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, for a king kneels to no man. But what of Mary? Does Yeshua bend the knee? I would ask forgiveness, but from who? These thoughts crash over my mind, their wake, the wake, each time I wake. Perhaps it is this blasted tower. I babble and babble. Is that how she keeps finding her way back to me? Flee, foolish spirit. Render unto Stephen what is Stephen's, and unto God what is God's. Go to him to whom so dearly you prayed. Take your grief with you. I have no need of it here. <laughs> I have no power here. But perhaps the boarding school bonehead is right. Mum's the word. Hmm. I've no time to worry about the lack of my metaphysical prowess. I've no pounds in these pockets, much less to speak of power. Blast it all! Haynes and Mulligan, what am I doing here? Caught between a rock and a hard place, two skulls thick as thieves. Thicker even. Look how they steal my peace of mind. I'll play the game of gods with him. Hum, hum. How could one believe in miracles? It seems a whole mess of hullabaloo. Dare I venture into heresy? Or perhaps Hamlet now? Shall I shake the foundations of Shakespeare for this fumbling phony? No, I'll save it for later. Hum, yes, history. How could anyone else be to blame? I don't recall there ever being people involved in the happenings of that story. <sighs> How righteous the responsible always seem to be. Oh, but it couldn't be us. The blame is on thee. And they point hither and thither and blubber about for the great shame that history was in all its fallout. What else is past that could have been? What waves wept but never sinned? Has all the past passed? Or does it flow like the tides? classroom this time and a red clock above the door nice touch the smell of notebooks with doodle filled margins pencil shavings the annals of history again that's twice today <laughs> no one to blame but myself yakta alia est i've never been any good at dice maybe that's why i have no money hmm into Haynes's chapbook I go. What is possible? Is the past always set in stone? Ah, but walls of stone crumble unless they are rebuilt. Is that what I do? Rebuild the past? Could I change it if I want? Can I say new words and make them so? Can the power of my pen match that of Virgil? Shall I forge a new foundation story from the beating of my heart? I sing of arms and of the man, 
Am I he? So young these senseless saplings are. Was I one of them? How long does it take for a seed to be sown? When shall we bear fruit? Their supple minds bend in my wind, <laughs> but I wonder if they take anything from it. Oh, look at them bend, their ears acrobats somersaulting over, around, under each word that I say. I'm sure I was much the same. Wonders that the love of mother can make, providing for these weaklings until they can stand. What will I do without one? Am I strong enough to stay? <sighs> I take leave of clowns only to come to the ringmaster, my master, and I the dutiful servant. Ah, but he calls me friend. All the same. These wretched coins, how they weigh me, Daniel. I see not the point. Am I a dragon? I do not wish to be slain. Why hoard my worldly riches then? If only to slither as the worm sin. Uh, but I shall not take this fruit. No more than I need to. Incredible how his mind must work. It seems as it bellows to the forge. His mouth pumps up and down and oh, such a torrent of air does come out. Play nice. The children do. You hear the slam and staccato of their sticks. The messy multitudes of flesh and eager bones to break. They crash in relentless waves. I was there once. I know it. When did time grow old in these bones of mine? Salt on the air, seaweed and foam, the soft give of the sand beneath my boots. What do you see? A man who isn't sure what to do with his intelligence. He's not exactly sure who he is, who he aims to be. He's armed to the teeth for a battle of wits. But what does he fight? For whom? Look behind you. The waves erase your prince. How does one leave a mark? You must carve it out of stone and forge it for yourself. Temper it. Cleanse it. That is all we can do. No one will know if the universe will care. Look, does the sun still rise? Redshift, blue shift of the stars, redshift of my receding head, pound for pound, five pound mulligan. The waves against the rocks, six pound, slish, slosh. Seven pound, slish, What tales can you tell? What scurvy songs of the sea doth thou sing in secret, you slippery stones? Stone soups makes merry my sorry stomach after a senseless night at starboard, when seething waves of stout do storm over and sterilize the ends of my side. The inn is full, there's no room for you here, said the keep. But my brother said you can stay in the stable. Where is that bullshit? So I went and left to stay in the stable instead of the stead. Home. No longer. No, no, no. Poems and prose as tame as the seemingly sedated animals at the zoo. Perhaps they've got an open cage there. Does the sea know why the cage bird sings? Avast, ye cur! Would that all dogs stay seaward? I might not hear bark nor picture bite. Calm now. Calm. <sighs> Waves recede. The mutt meanders towards me not. <sighs> the knot is undone. <laughs> I must return to Alexander his sword. Is it that time again? Does the cock crow noon at half past ten? Blue shift. And lo, there sails smoothly by a ship. Watch his mast at half. Nay, now at full. 
And there goes another, Fult bursting with his steam. A whistle. Yes, there she blows. No whale, but a spout all the same. Hmm. Whales. Beached and bloated do burst something terrible. And the Irish come for them just the same. A corpse draws not half the crowd. Why, then, does it crowd my thoughts? Are they not my own? Was the corpse's life not his own? Clumsy bastard, he forgot where he put it. Now it is lost. My mind, the labyrinth. And I with no way out. Calypso. A bountiful banquet of disemboweled fish and fowl, once beating heart, greasy gizzards, a veritable flock of delectable dishes to school one's senses in the subtle art of sweet and savory and, uh, and the slight smack of piss. Kidney, that would be. For your trousers' sake, I hope so. Right. Meow. Hello there, my furry four-legged friend. What'll it be today? Shall we try something new? Perhaps a nice whiskey for you this fine morning? Meow. The usual, then. Makes no difference to me. Hmm. Smarter than we give them credit for. Intelligent little killer she is. Swift and brutal. Though perhaps lacking in stealth. How do you think she sees me? A big blundering behemoth? But no, she can climb higher still. Then what? Gargantuan Goliath turned mannequin might? Where now? Cacophonous calls for orders and the shink of sharpening knives mixed with the smooth shh of metal hitting cutting board, shearing through tender tendons, moist, bloody muscle tissue. Paper crinkles and crackles, presents wrapped in yesterday's news. Headline, tonight's dinner. A bell tinkling at the behest of the door. Great hulking hams. No, um, what was it I needed? Eyes up. Business first, then pleasure. Recognition. Ah, one over. Hmm. <laughs> I'll look her twice over, just to be certain. To be giving her a succulent bit of sausage, now that would, but... No, no. She doesn't see me. Still, though, the way she can whack, whack, whack a carpet. Another's. <sighs> that policeman. Park, was it? Oh, to be that green again in the spring of youth... Ugh, can't he mince my meat any faster? Damn, gone. They're in back again, home. Flowers do thrive in the open air out of house. For from the bowels of the earth, great brown bricks and branches of burgundy timber do spring, squeezed as they were from their seeds. Spring. Millie, how she sprung up. Blooms bud in bloom. <laughs> How the leaves do turn and turn and turn and... Eleven. Yes. Eleven he would have been. The seed sown on shallow soil. And what of it? Now going back. But what a forward. Must let go trying to stop the tides funny the distance time brings nothing's changed but all of it the garden of my past tulips 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 love winter winds do shrivel pretty petals not a bad line that hmm. I'll make it yet
lotus eaters. The chatter of sideways winding walking conversations, bustle of boats loading and unloading at the quay, varied shouts, smiles and waves, hellos and ballyhoos. A city slumbers no more. The click crack clack of shoes on cobbled streets. One can't be sure if the clacks belong to humans or horses or the cloven hooves of heaving hogs. Life. Enter a man. In his arms. What say you of his arms, man? Surely he didn't think to come without them. No. No, they're there. Spy you not his sword and shield there. I'll bring you closer. Come. See as I see. Hear as I hear. Look, he wields the sword that slayed the druids. The thick trunks of their cherished trees ground into pulp in his shield. Is he so arrogant to think it unnecessary? Even Achilles' armor failed him. The line of Orthrus undone in pride. Ah, wrong again. In the wrapping paper. No. Yes. Armor of the highest caliber. For he fights against the most cunning and brutal foe of all, the microbial. But hush, he comes. Not easy, is it? Poor little fellow. Shouldn't smoke all the same. Isn't it, though? Bah, I suppose it is. One must take whatever respite one can. Short enough, anyhow. Funny, both the boy and life. Cleverer than ever this morning, aren't we? Ah, uh, there's the sister. Sorry, scars slicing up the slivers of her sallow skin. Exa. What was it again? Exhume. No, the funeral's not till. Let's see here. Eleven? Eczema, that's the thing. They say too much stress will do that. Shame at so young an age. Sisyphusian task cut out for her. Come home, Pa. It's time to come home, here. Ma's orders. <laughs> the only orders heard around here are by the barkeep. And he's heard a call for another round. Holy water. Always seemed a funny concept. <laughs> I made some of that earlier with my trousers around my ankles. And for my next trick, I'll conceive the sanctum regnum with my rectum. <laughs> Probably wouldn't find it awfully funny. Take themselves too seriously, they do. Look at them, perpetually dressed for mourning. Collar's white, though. Bark, bark. Dutiful doggies. The Latinate verbiage makes about as much sense to most of these folks as a beast barking, anyhow. Part of the mysticism, I think. Something magical about the whole affair. You reckon they really think they're eating a man's flesh? Hmm. Bread of life from a dead man. I wonder how that works out. Like multiplying two negative numbers? Somewhere along the way, the sign flips and voila! You've got Lazarus the bona fide baker. <laughs> Hades. What is death? A new horizon? No, nothing so far away. Perhaps brittle brown leaves falling in a gentle wind. Do not weep for them. The blue sky was never theirs. Not ours. Not yet. Poor bastard. Patty, aye, aye. We're here then, yes? Best be going. Cronenhorn? Cronenhorn. Right, right. In you go, Bloom. Be quick now. Hmm. Quick to a funeral. I'm sure Dingham would appreciate it. Do you think his schedule's very full today? <laughs> Always on about his son. 
I... I suppose I would be as well. Could you imagine if... God... Hearing his voice. Singing with Molly, maybe. Postprandial walks in the evening. Dress him up and go to one of her concerts. Bring flowers. My son. Show him how to make his way in the world. I could have... If I just... But no. You weren't given one. You weren't. It's alright now. It's alright. Obituaries. Sort of a strange thing, isn't it? Town crier announcing the dead. Good work. Always in demand. Never a slow day, I'd imagine. <laughs> work is always dead. Oh, sure, the new plague's making its way, but work's never been better. <laughs> not waving back. Must not see us, eh, Simon? Who's that now? They're with the hat, see? Blaze's boy... Nail's a bit long. Where is that dirt from? Garden, maybe? So, what's the difference between us? What's he got that I don't? Am I not enough? Was I... Few clouds out. Not too bad a day, though. At least not for a funeral and all. Better than the rain. Messy business, digging a grave in the rain. Slippery. Whole process would be a fair bit easier if they just ran a line out here. A tram or two this way would get used enough, God knows. Could make a pretty penny, I reckon. And better than these cow paths. Remember that story of the coffin coming along and WHOOM! The man tumbling out, mouth open as if he's surprised to be disturbed. Everyone else certainly was. Strange. The way a body remains after. What leaves when the body to body? Just coming to coming to coming to, to go over songs. Will she sing for him? La Chidoran. A mouthful. But. Now, they say that one of these nights, a couple of drunks come around after a night of reminiscing to see the grave of their good friend. It's a foggy one, though, so even if they weren't pissed drunk, they've got a challenge seen farther than the hand you've got at the end of your arm. After getting good and turned around, they're no closer to finding the grave than they are to getting sober. As they're leaving, one sees a statue of the crucifix in Cross My Heart. He says, Well, that's a lousy job, isn't it? Don't look nothing like him. Aeolus. The most powerful automated weapon the world has ever seen. And listen to her work. Pulp and sawdust and waves of noise melding, intersecting, jostling each other. Shouts of men and machinery in the hot smell of freshly inked swords. A city. A people armed to fight the unknown. Right. I'll get this to printing and see if I can figure something out. Hmm. And uh, if you want something special done with it, we can do that. Of course, of course. We. Awfully noisy, aren't they? But look at them go. Produce a million papers a minute if they went any faster. It's incredible this age of the machine comes. Revolution at hand. Brutal, though, too. Beware the jaws of the beast, lest you be crushed. Be like Beowulf. <laughs> Both dragon and him dead. Wigliff gone back to work once they managed to drag your corpse from the stringy scene. Bah. Now that would be a story. Funny how we still like to pretend papers are about the news. People really just want a good bit of entertainment. Rest is always the same, or same enough. No, 
Sales spring forth from speculation. That's a tidbit of local news drier than three-day-old biscuits. Hines still owes me those shillings from a few weeks back. Say something. Cashier just off to lunch, if you're interested. Yeah, I'll do that. Thanks. Third time. Need to be more direct. I know, I know. Local psychic claims power to talk to furniture, possibly the cat. Thunk, 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 thunk. Listen to all that. Hell of a mess it makes. Still, listen to it. Just trying to be heard. So easy to be drowned out in this world. Everything just wants to be heard. Look now, the door on its squeaky hinge. All just wanting for a bit of notice. It's not so much to ask for now, is it? No. No, it isn't. Now, the story is, there's these two elderly women, yes? And they've lived kindly, pious lives, never daring to claim any bit of this world for themselves. But finally, they decide that they simply must see what Dublin is like from the heights of Nelson's Pillar. If they remain firmly planted on the ground any longer, they're like to become trees. Finally, a desire of their own. Can you see them? Uh, yes, yes, I can see them. They have this dream. What do they do with it? Lestragonians. Look over water's edge at waves of glistening white. From gray stone ledge the gulls take flight. How poets speak, see? Rhymes in that. Notice the end rhyme complemented with the internal rhyme. Schema, they call that. A, B, A, B, all, 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 alliteration. Alliteration always easy on open ears, see? Poetry, easy as that. No rhymes for Shakespeare, though. Empty verse, it's called. Empty of rhymes, I guess is why. More about uh, the expression of thought, to flow as we do. A flowing, gushing stream, first one way, then the next, and back again. Tricky business, Shakespeare. Funny, though, too. Think it would be easier to write like you think. Like second nature, just fumble it onto the page from your brain. A cloud. Enter shadow. What's the point of any of this? Where am I going? Anywhere to avoid what I'm really thinking about. Running away, again, always. Can't even tell a man I'd like my money back. Always evasive, hiding, invisible. Each day the same. And to what end? A happy family? A loving wife, perhaps? At least the camaraderie of a few decent fellows at a pub? Why are we here? Just to suffer? To be ground to dust and trampled upon as fuel for some great cosmic engine? <laughs> Nothing so grand. It would be a mercy if our fate at least operated on some celestial scale. No, we are ground up by the wealthy and the powerful that they may stay so, each class raising a new crop to replace itself once the harvest comes. Waves of bitter grain, a hollowness to the world. The great lie we force ourselves to swallow so that we might yet live. Enough, Leopold. Enough. Always this time of day. Some kind of biological clock at work? From digestion? No. Perhaps hunger? Read something about it the other week. Can't be sure now. Now how do you see him? Still a naive little bud? 
Alas, I admit my own ignorance. I see now a man heroic not in his victories, but his defeats. Perhaps one can find Cleos this way as well. Indeed. He shows us not how we might live as Herculean forces of might, but as true mortals. Though he is not the most cunning or powerful, and often has a presence that is overlooked or shoved around, he never gives up. Heroism in the banal is true virtue. What might one learn from this? That we cannot win every battle that confronts us. There will come many days where our strength fails and our minds falter. Yet these are not the end. In acknowledging the insignificant nature of our very grasp, reaching for heights that cannot ever be ours, we may find the small measures of momentary closure, if not peace, necessary to continue our journey without crumbling amidst the ruins of our failure. Here walks the hero of the new age. His is the strength of Sisyphus, for one always finds one's burden again. But in this truth there is hope. The gentle tenacity of mankind quietly, ever quietly, moving forward. Scylla and Charybdis. Musty, the mosque of yellowing purgatory pages, condemned to never again see the light, day nor night, until their sins are cleansed from the fires of fragile, forgetful, neglectful human minds. We have come to the graveyard once more. Of a sorts, I suppose. What do they speak of? A profusion of peddling pundit spawn words fumble over me in hum-fumming waves, but in them substance seems to be not. Why do they speak? Though I cannot pierce the veil of their dance, I sense its hunger. The crash-dashing gnaw in the pits of ambitious bellies and febrile brains hearts some thumping in anxious ancient thrums of discordia awaiting the approval of peers. The desperate diaspora of the academic, one's thoughts violently dispelled, flung first this way, then that in attempt to find purchase among the refuge of respected theory and art and intellectual high-mindedness. You know, for all our efforts in young poets, we still have yet to see an Irishman who might rise up to the heights of a Shakespeare. Forgive them, father. They know not to whom they speak. Me is him. My way. I am he. Yes, but on this speculation, I think it is not worth giving time to. The work of art is in and of itself. Speculative matters are for housewives and schoolboys, not academics. Perhaps. But is not greater appreciation in the depth of that art found only through exploration of its meaning? Can truly profound meaning be found except through the nature of speculation, of probing and scrutinizing? What is academia if not that? Grumbling concessions. See how he smooths over his ears like a bricklayer smoothing the plaster. Hack. Can you truly not see it? A sad thing. Myopia of the brain. See, it is clear when inspecting the traces left within his works, William stands before his parish son. The afterlife, the only avenue left to him to reach Hamnet Shakespeare his name ringing eternally through that of his brother, Hamlet. 
in what? Do you really believe Anne Shakespeare to be the evil queen? No. She bears no role in his works. Perhaps we may read something of her absence, but you go too far. Absent. Forgotten. Does the Pope forget in whose name he is baptized? Neither might Shakespeare forget the woman who sprung him into the throes of manhood as one might throw a child into a river, yelling, sink or swim, your own willingness shall provide for you. No, she is ever present. Or else, where shall we get the women of his works? Surely not some spontaneous generation of the mind. Though his works may be great, human still he remains. His works come from his mind, yes, but his characters, as the moon draws the seas, are drawn from the people of his life. There's no other way to make them. Wandering Rocks Mount Joy Square. Queer name for places flat and miserable as this. The world of men is populated with canaries and conundrums. Oh, how they sing. How their wings flutter, battered by the wind, a berserk flurry just to remain afloat. Oh, please, most righteous, honorable, reverend, anointed father, and notable member of the Society of Jesus Christ, Jonathan, called me. Spare me a note, would ya? Can't feed my soul on an empty stomach, now can I? Hmm. One complains of empty innards while one's purse is fed. Curious. Frivolous. Otherwise, yes, of course. Now just imprudent, encouraging the foolish. <sighs> Bless you, my child. For the Lord saith, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Do not forget that, lest you stray into the terrible clutches of mammon. <laughs> <laughs> See, his soul responds. Uh, and the purse doth answer both the fuller for the grace of God. Father, that's enough now. It's time to go home. We're just about starving. It's not long now we'll be boiling our shirts to eat. And even then we won't last much more. Oh, and I'm supposed to cure you of your poor condition, is that it? What do you think I'm doing out here? Feasting? And stand up straight, for God's sake. I may not have done much, but I've raised you better than that. Come on, Father, please. People are staring. <sighs> what is to be done? Zug's way. Father? Hmm? You did get some money, didn't you? I can tell by your eyes. Hmm. <laughs> Can you now? You've spent too much time looking over the bay. I'm afraid the sun's muddled your brain, Munchkin. You're seeing phantoms. Hand extended. A bird chirp chirping. Mouth open to the sky, mother. Or perhaps more like a hound with blood in the nose sensing the kill. How do they always know? This isn't enough. You know that. Give me more. I suppose you've got as much. Well, your turn, damn it! The world against me and my own spawn nipping at my heels, ears red hot, filled with the gnashing of your greedy bastard's teeth. Always wanting, reaching, taking. Ever since your mother went and died, silly thing she was. Is that all I am to you? Some stranger with a purse to snatch from? A broken man. His spine stands straight, but his spirit is tossed about in the wind. But what is a broken man when put against a father? Father. Father. He, yes, dead. 
inside that abominable box. It's rattles. His jostled about down the him. Him. Sirens. Walk, trot, stop. Let wind, window, shop. Clop. Back, yes. In. Charm is around for. Hmm. Almost four. Around curves. Easy fools. Oh, sweet song. Better. Love fades as flowers bloom, the sweets of sin, mammon's boon. Hmm. Eat, yes. And if I could land those ads for, hmm, not quite. For, um, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Into the future. Perhaps those nice underskirts she likes. Hmm. Why here? Close, no? Follow now. Quick on the heel, like. Dare. Ah, but if. Uh, no time now! Um, sir. You have to pay for those. Uh, right, right, of course. My apologies. Pay for those papers. How much paper pay per her pay? Hmm. Now on. Enough. What? I know what happens. Yes, and? Don't show me the scenes strewn about. Reveal to me your heart. What are you feeling? What do you see? The current flows strongest at the center. Take us under. Take us there. Hmm. I suppose you're right. I, um, what do I think? Jesus Christ, stop. You'll give yourself a hernia the look on your face. Thinking will come. Feel first. I suppose I feel this episode, uh, at least for the players of Bloom and Boyland, is a sort of, uh, vision zug. Hmm? Chest term. Earliest known use, chess strategy and tactics. Reinfeld and Chernev, 1933. When a player does not play the expected move, but interposes another move which the opposing player is compelled to respond to. Why does it feel that way to you? I think looking at its etymology sheds light on the term's relevance here. It comes from the German Zwischen between in Zug move. But follow the threads in Mora's revealed. Digging up Zwischen's roots from Old German and earlier Proto-Germanic, we arrive at Dwo, the Proto-Indo-European for two. Zug's progenitor is the Proto-Germanic Twehana, to lead or pull, coming from the Proto-Indo-European Duke, to lead. In this sense, the etymological origins combine to meet something akin to two poles, in what better way to see this episode? How so? Well, Blaze's true destination is the marital bed of a one Mrs. Marion Bloom. Yet he interposes a move first with his stop to the Ormond Hotel bar. This move compels Bloom to follow, completely throwing him off course. He must follow. Blaze's diversion from his true course unbalances Bloom and further ensnares him within the inertia of Boylan's plans, led deeper into the maze of hope and despair as time ticks, ticks away. Black offers draw. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, said the Jew. Ah, you must be joking. You think I wouldn't notice if there was a bloody fucking plank in me own eye? I've only got the one. I'm guessing I noticed if I wasn't fucking seeing nothing but fucking nothing, said nobody. Christ, I knew we never should have dirtied this country by letting you people in. No good will come of it, I tell you, none at all. And who do you mean by people like me? I'm as Irish as the next fuck in this establishment. Isn't this my country too? Do I not bleed as you do, love as you do? Then shall not the land belong to me as I to it? To homogenize is to make oneself deaf and dumb. You limit only yourself. All men dream and yearn and suffer and grieve. Is that not enough? Must we also think and look the same? Without such difference, we perish. Lost to the pit of anonymous despair, communally alone. Only in embracing one's brother can one be free. We are all born the same, and someday we shall all die the same. Let that, if nothing else, be cause enough for an empathetic heart to tremble within your breast. Bah! You're as soft as a blubbering, stuttering, whoa, what I mean for fumbling fool of a Jew. Hmm. And you're as big a mental prick as yours is physically small, you self-righteous bastard. You know, if I'm a bastard, at least I'm a f still a fucking man. Christ, I wonder if you've gotten anything left between the legs, or did they cut the whole fucking thing off? Jesus. Again with this hokey business. What makes a man, eh? Getting pissed drunk six days a week? Abandoning my duties to home, hearth, and family and all but last name? Always fucking complaining about how unfair the world is. Oh, you best watch your fucking mouth now, you rat. But he sympathizes everyone, I tell you, Gary. By the way, you know Christ was a Jew, yeah? So how's that for a man? Oh, now you better leave. You're lucky I'm not a man of violence or you wouldn't be leaving here with all you attached. Ah, that's right. You're just a man of violent talk. Night, Gary. Nausicaa. Oh, how the beauteous world unravels before us on this day, loveliest of all God's grand creations. The way the sun kisses the sweet lulling waves, who in turn lap, lap, splap upon the warm sands, feet just making the slightest imprint on the surface of so many brown golden grains, the sensation of grainy half-wet and cool foamy fingers running over your tender skin, enough to make you shiver with delight. You smile as you look out over the endless sea. On your right, two cherubs laugh gleefully as they prance and play amidst the shallows, their echoing outbursts of joy blending with the whoosh of the waves into a symphony of pure and utter satisfaction. On your left, behind a rock, a man masturbates furiously. How precious. Mm, an apt word. Such sentimental passages sans masturbation find their value in the same way markets for precious stones do in our easily manipulated naivete. The world is awash in both easy reading, insidiously mushy sentimental fiction, and diamonds alike. But both are somehow shiny enough to win over all our two goo-prone hearts with the help of some decent PR teams. In this episode, I see Joyce laughing at the silky smooth saccharine passages that color Gertie's world, populated by fashion fads and fictitious loves. In Gertie, I am reminded of the Brecht quote, 
Art is not a mirror held up to reality, but a hammer with which to shape it. Though perhaps easily digestible in evoking romantic sympathies accompanied with myriad wistful sighs, the flighty fictions that no doubt fill her shelves at home are no more real than angels or fae people. Yet, just as people's lives are influenced by angels and fair folk, Gertie's lifestyle, her modes of address, her thinking, are molded by the art she consumes. In this way, I see more than simple laughter at how light and fruitless and easily copied such onanistic styles of writing are. I see a note on the importance of what each of us as individuals choose to consume, since those trivial hobbies and habits we fill our days with will not be mere passing fancies, but over time become deeply ingrained into our very being. Oxen of the Sun Oh, how my febrile brain trembles in the intrepid rays of Apollo's fertile sphere. Look how its beams blast their blessing upon the leaves and the trees and the algae of the sea, bringing forth new life with its radiant seed. From that seed all are sprung, a cosmic shudder of gold-bronze daybright. Bring a parasol if you hope to survive. Bring a turban or headcloth and water if you wish to be cognizant enough to pretend to understand. Probably, though, simply stay home and save yourself the trouble. Confusion will find its way into your home eventually. No need to go searching for it. I feel as the cloven-hooved beast surely does during his daily toll. He is given an assignment by God fitting for his strength, whom above all else grants his most difficult tasks to his greatest children, likely using some kind of sick actuarial chart to place each of our souls into their terrible yokes. Raise thy hoof once more, Sisyphus. Find it within you to take another step, and somehow yet another. Your work is not yet done. I am brought back to the sprawling, strange pages of another dense novel, Infinite Jest, in its own explorations on our relationship to language, with its intricate inner workings and severe limitations. I imagine both Wallace and Joyce, in their various ways, in an intense investigation, attempting to pin down the fabric of semantics and speech and expression. Questions bubble up from the recesses of the pulsating hunk encased in its reclusive box of bone. What is the relationship between language and understanding? How can I convey what I truly mean? Is it possible to divine the right words such that they can actually capture the essence of what it means to live as a human? to envelop the strange, dirty, sappy, beautiful, callous, unflinchingly banal, ever-sprawling emotions and hungers and losses and subtle joys of one short time on this small home of dirt and rock and rain, with its appalling lack of gratifying closure or tying up of loose ends, or how each day just rolls into the next and the next and the next, and by some miracle... If you don't kill yourself, you just keep on living for so many days and days and days. And even though most mean nothing, and most everything passing you by is forgotten, they somehow fumble themselves into something altogether precious. If I can just find the right style, the right syntax, the right language or combination of languages, can I grind out a little bit of that human alchemy into a tincture of syllables and in ink, can I be made one with all through the spirit of these words? Can I live and breathe and flow like the tide with its eternal ebb and flow in these dead pages? Who can say? But I know this. If you think it might be possible, you are compelled to try, or you will die a thousand deaths before you are buried wondering, always wondering. Circe, sweat, 
the sour aftertaste of pine scone to rest in the watery depths below. You smack your lips. That pink flabidinous member in your mouth feels slightly swollen. Thirst begets thirst. It's a good thing you know how to make water. Your mother taught you that properly so you wouldn't shame the family when your first school began. Not all the other kids knew. She was proud of you. Stop thinking about your mother, Christ. Don't think about him either. Yes, sir. The streetlight's always been so horrendously bright. Jesus, they're spinning. There he is again. Always makes the conversation about him. Will I go into a place you cannot follow? Welcome to Gummy Granny's Dream Emporium. We kindly ask you to leave your hope at the door. Makes everyone rather uncomfortable. You understand. What do you have? Uh... Two whores, my grandfather, some repressed desires, maybe have me be a national hero of some sort, someone suave, you know, uh, and make it a gender bender. The human psyche, the great frontier covered in an unending mist. It swirls forever, obscuring its bizarre mysteries. In this episode, I imagine Joyce engaging in a sort of research via lobotomy. Armed with his syntactical scalpel, he enters the cavity of the skull, fearless and flawed, poking, probing, slicing off a sliver here, cauterizing a strange protuberance there. What better way could one attempt to simulate the inner machinations of the subconscious than to place one's characters in states in which those shadowy desires and dreams come bubbling up so easily? Drunk and horny. Eumaeus. Crashes and clatters and the roiling waves of door-dampened noise that result when many people are being loud and some are also being quiet so as not to be overheard. The echo of a glass having both force and magnitude carried along its vector into an unequal opposing vector of another glass and the kinetic energy of each being transferred into the contents of the other, causing much splatter and resulting in the redirection of said glasses often at acute ankle, accompanied by a raucous slancha. How about that place, eh? I could use another drink. Uh, best not. Ah, you're just the one. Get you some coffee, yeah? Oh, great. I always wanted hot, dirty water. Can't get enough of it. Oh, fuck off. How does one reach another? How bizarre the weird, sad, little nervous, performative ways we dance for one another, each doing the best we can to impress, to win over, to ameliorate the tension between one heady piece of meat and another, the desire to be liked, to be respected, to be seen. I see the tall tales of the rambunctious sailor serving as an exploration of such desires and social needs. Humans are performative creatures, but why do we do it? Fractals of reoccurring worlds and ideas and shapes and behaviors appear. Even while Bloom notes the likely dubious nature of the man's stories, he too is performing. But as his audience is of a more intimate nature, he attempts only to impress Stephen rather than the whole room. Stephen, too, in turn, performs. He's the soon-to-be auspicious, wordy, intelligent, up-and-coming poet. I see also in this episode a desire to try and paint the elusive beauty that is only available to be seen in the heart of the night. Things move differently. There's an ephemeral sheen upon the earth. We can let go of some of our apprehensions. It is through the dropping of these inhibitions we can see clearer into the individual sadnesses that plague both Bloom and Stephen in youth and middle age, both in some sense alone. I think of the ways that I perform, the ways in which I am alone, how I want to act as a figure of wisdom and guidance to the underclassmen I know. I want to make fun memories with them so that I can feel young again, chasing back the years of my college career 
Of course it can't be. It can't ever be. My time has come. No cabman shelter can shelter me from the unrelenting, ever-moving storm of time. Ithaca. Home. My home. Or hill and dale and hell-scorched plains and gray rivers. Or trials great and small and greater. Or loss and death in the drunken stupor of hopelessness. Or abandonment and failure in the taste of my mortality. All this and more I have overcome to reach again this place that I love. I think about my own fleeting homecomings, now that I am no longer an adolescent. Summers are no longer vacations. I don't live at the place I still call my home. The role of my parents diluted to that of an aunt and uncle you see a few times a year on holidays. Will I be the Stephen to my father's bloom? Each of us performing some strange ritual dance one desperately reaching out, the other only mildly interested. I think of the places I cannot go with my father when we talk. The stunted flows of our conversation. He never talks about his feelings. I guess he is like Bloom in that sense. Very scientific. Practical. Certainly we've never peed together outside. Though I wouldn't say I call that any kind of requirement for closeness. I do wonder, though, if we can reach each other as humans rather than some strange categorized persons as father and son. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I suppose only the future will tell. I, like Stephen, must go. Walking stick in hand, starlight above to guide my steps. What more could one hope for? Penelope. Yes, Penelope. What are people really thinking? What am I really thinking? These are the kinds of questions I thought about when I was reading Penelope. I thought a lot about my mother who often talks a lot like she's not saying what she means. Very performative. Too nice, almost. I thought about what it would be like to know what she was really thinking. I thought about my friends, my roommates, certainly my teachers, if they could say what they wanted to say. I thought about what I would say if I said everything that I thought about. Again, I find it strange how difficult it is to be honest to yourself and to others in your thoughts and your words the weird little ways that we're forced to perform because that's how society works. I think this chapter forced me to look within myself and examine the ways in which I think and when 
not just that, but to think about how other people are also having those issues, those monologues, that dichotomous relationship between their inward and outward lives. I wonder if we can mend that. I wonder if we can mend that.